Hear the word of the Lord. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down in my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. I ask to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for the life that is found in it. I pray that you would just speak to our hearts those words of life this morning from Psalm 42, that you would be near to us, um, that you would refresh our souls with um, your promises. I pray that we would be changed by that as we leave here and go into a new week. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, have you ever heard the phrase, I wish we could go back to the good old days? Has anybody ever heard that? Increasingly, probably, right? More and more people are saying stuff like that. Now, if you ever Googled that term, it's defined as a cliche in popular culture used to reference a time considered by the person speaking to be better than the current era, right? So pretty basic. Um, it's a form of nostalgia, right, which can reflect homesickness or yearning for long gone moments. That's the Google definition. So homesickness and yearning for long gone moments. If only things could be like this again, right? Uh, and for some people, they could be talking about a time of economic flourishing, if you're just thinking about the world or the, the nation or something like that, or even a time of, of personal flourishing when they were just doing better than they're doing right now, right? But just the good old days. And for others, it might be a period in history that had a different set of moral values or um, different driving factors that um, we're kind of steering the direction of, of the country or of your family or anything like that. Uh, and still for other people, this good old days really just could be a time when everything was going just like the speaker wanted them to go, right? Things were just good. Life was good. I had no worries. So those were the good old days. And, and perhaps you've even felt like this yourself. I know I have. I've thought this. Uh, and the world around us certainly seems... Um, like it's on fire, right? There are things going on everywhere, um, every day. Um, you can be easily inundated by stories in the news that might make you long for a different time or just a time past the current time that we're in, right? And are you here this morning feeling that way? Are you, are you resonating with that? Are you feeling maybe disappointed or depressed or overwhelmed or anxious? Does it seem like the weight of a sin in your life is more crushing than it's ever been? Is your soul troubled? 
And if it is, or if you've ever experienced seasons like this, then there's no better place for you to be than right here, right now, uh, with God's people, opening God's word together. Feeling depressed or defeated or detached from God and his people is not an uncommon part of being a Christian, which you might know by now, if you've been a Christian longer than maybe 24 hours. Um, it's, it's not unique, right? This is a thing that's characteristic of the Christian life. Challenges, right? Opposing forces both in our own hearts and without our, ourselves, like out in the world around us, right? And so this, this is part of the Christian experience, but, but God has graciously provided us with what we need to navigate those times himself. So steadfast hope in God is the remedy to seasons of doubt, depression, struggle, anxiety, you name it, the list goes on, right? Any of those things, any, any of those types of challenges we face, um, God is enough. And as we look at Psalm 42, let us be reminded that the struggle of inward turmoil and outward circumstances, those struggles are a very real part of the Christian life. But the remedy for our troubled souls is found and fulfilled in the covenant promises of our faithful God. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that again. This is kind of the overarching theme that we're going to be looking at everything through. So the struggle of inward turmoil and outward circumstances is a very real part of the Christian life. But the remedy for our troubled souls is found and fulfilled in the covenant promises of our faithful God. And because God keeps his promises, we can trust him, right? And so why does that matter for us? What do we do with that information? And I think specifically, I want to look at three things. Because God keeps his promises, we can desire God in the desert of life because he has not deserted us. We can cry out to God in the raging sea of life because he's sustaining us. And we can hope in God as we limp toward heaven because we will praise him again as he brings us safely home. And so let's look at that, that first point. So desire God in the desert. He has not deserted you. And so this is going to be looking at verses one through four. And as our text um, starts off, I didn't read this part, but right above uh, the heading, you can see the words to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Um, and so the writer of this psalm, as well as of the psalm right after this, Psalm 43, is, is none other than a priest musician, right? It's a worship leader for God's people at this time. This was a song that was sung by God's people um, in times of public worship. Think about what we were singing this morning. It's almost like they opened their hymn book and they sang Psalm 42. And the song that's been written opens with a familiar line. This is something we've probably heard a, a lot, right? Either in songs or just as we've learned scripture over the years. But verse one says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. What a great, what a great picture that is, right? I think a lot of times we think of that and we maybe get a sense of like tranquility and just peacefulness and calm. I think it's talked about that way a lot, but that's not really the, the picture being painted here, right? This is not a picture of, of pastoral beauty, right? Of, of nature and, and relaxation. This is really a picture of panic and, and of maybe pain. If you look in the broader context of, of this chapter, this is a picture of a near-death experience. So if you think of, um, I may have said this before, but the, the movie Bambi, you know, opens up and there's like this really pretty, like nice 1940s animation of like a pasture in the woods. And then you hear a gunshot and the deer are running and they're running for their life, right? The, the mother deer is trying to protect the baby deer. 
It's more a picture of something like that, right? Of, of something that's fleeing from danger or crying out in the midst of danger. Charles Spurgeon in his commentary on the Psalm says that this is like a hunted deer that's just looking for some drop of sustenance. So a deer like running through the woods from the hunter, just trying to find a drop of water to drink um, as it's trying to escape death. And so let, let that sink in and maybe let that um, take the place of what we, we think of, of these lines previously. This deer is desperate, right? This, this deer who's panting for flowing streams, right? It's, it's a picture of desperation. And so the writer is clearly showing us a similar desperation. There's a deep desire that he has to be physically where God is. He says in verse one, so pants my soul for you, O God. He's, he's saying, I'm like the deer. I'm desperate for you, God. And for God's people at this time in history, being in God's presence meant being in Jerusalem at the temple. There's a very physical place, a physical correlation to, to what he's saying here. Um, now, you and I don't have to wait to make that kind of pilgrimage. We don't have to go up to the temple um, at set times to worship our God. We can do that today, right now. We can do that at home um, with our family or in private alone uh, because of Christ. And, and that's, a, that's a good thing. He is here with us. Um, even as we're speaking right now, there's a nearness. And we can see from Jesus' words in John 14 that he's near to his people. He's given himself intimately to his people so that we would know him and follow him and do what he has said. But it doesn't always feel like he's near, does it? Right? That's not what characterizes every day of our life a lot of times. It may be that you can relate very much to what the psalmist is saying in verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I'm thirsty for you, God, he says. When can I be near you again? There's no spiritual food, no nourishment, no encouragement. Instead, his tears are constant food. As he says in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. So you get this picture of just constant distance from God and, and constant um, turmoil within himself because he, he is distant from the Lord in that way. And so this is how Psalm 42 opens. Maybe not the most encouraging note, right? And maybe you can relate to that as you sit here this morning. Maybe you're feeling just overwhelmed or tired or, or stressed out by any number of things. But then the psalmist turns to how things used to be, to, to the good old days. In verse 2, he says, oh, excuse me, in verse, um, in verse 4. He says, when I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise. He remembers the sweetness of corporate worship with God's people. He remembers how good it was to be with them, praising God together with them. And this is what God uses in that spiritual desert that the psalmist seems to be in, the one that he's walking through. He's, he's reminding him of that to cause him to pause and stop his mourning and his crying out for a moment. Those times of worship and fellowship with God's people cause him to speak a refrain that we see three different times throughout Psalms 42 and Psalm 43, connecting the two as part of a larger song. And, and here's, here's that, that refrain. Why are you cast down to my soul? Why in turmoil within me? And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But what's important for us to see here in the midst of this dark season that the psalmist seems to be in or what we also need to see in the midst of a dark season we might be in is the psalmist realizes that in the desert, 
God has not deserted him. God is with him. He's there and he will be with us in those seasons of our lives too. One example of this, and this is before I was a Christian, but when I was in high school, like many people who grew up in the early 2000s, some of you maybe, I was in youth group a lot and we had like weekly activities. There were like youth camps or all these things that we did. But I just remember um, how good it was to do, do those things, right? And at the time, I don't think I really, I really knew why. I didn't know why it was good. Um, but in reflecting on it, it's definitely because God was there, right? We were with God's people. We were hearing God's word. We were praising God. Um, but that was such a refuge, even for someone who wasn't a Christian, as weird as that might sound. Because for my sister and I, our, our home life was really chaotic. It, it wasn't a picture of peace and tranquility, right? There was just a lot of brokenness in our family. And, and I remember just going and being part of youth group, as simple as that might sound, was just a, a refuge from that. And it was, it was good to be there. And I feel like at times, reflecting on it many years later, even when I was th- you know, thinking at home of just how bad things were, or how stressful it was to be there at the time, I, I could go and think about that even and how good it was to, to be at church. You know, and I looked forward to the next time I could go. And so I'm sure we all have things like that in our life that, that you can think of, seasons where maybe you were closer to God than others or maybe just seasons that were just really spiritually refreshing and good. And maybe that doesn't stack up to the present reality, right? Maybe some of that seems a little more far removed. Um, But God gives us those experiences, um, not to make us feel good, but to remind us of how good he is, right? To remind us of of his closeness to us when we need him, that he loves us, that he cares for us. Um, And so we're not supposed to live for the next like spiritual high moment or the next like youth camp moment, right? But we're supposed to reflect on those times as God gives them to us. And be grateful for those, right? And the same is true for us right now. And in, in worship, you know, our weeks are, are not really a mirror of our worship service, you might notice, right? They're full of activity with work, with family, with school, just all kinds of things. Uh, but in the midst of all of that, all that busyness and all that difficulty, sometimes we can think back, you know, and even maybe this Wednesday when you're in the middle of your weekly schedule, you can just think back to what you've heard and prayed and saying today on Sunday, right? God gives us these times um, of refreshing to be collectively with him. And so God is is here. He's with us um, in any season of our life. And so that's the first point. And the the second point as we look at verses six and 10 is cry out to God in the raging sea because he is sustaining your life. So regardless of physical distance or even perceived distance and the sweetness of fellowship with God's people, the psalmist knows that it's actually God he's missing. So he's reflecting on how good it was to be with God's people and to worship God. But ultimately those things were only good because God was there, right? And so he knows that it's God that he wants to be near. He doesn't just want to be singing worship songs, right? He wants to be singing worship songs to God. He wants to be with God's people, not just any people near where God is. And then there's a picture of of raging waters, we can see here. I'm just going to turn my page. In verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves has gone over me. And so this is kind of a picture of circumstances beyond control, right? Life, life can feel like this. It can feel really tempestuous like this, like a, a storm on a raging sea. There could be 
circumstances beyond your control that you're dealing with in your life, or there could be consequences of your own actions that leave you and I feeling like we're going to drown in those things, right? They can be overwhelming. We cannot see an end to it or, or an upside to things. But this very verse, uh, this is what the prophet Jonah recalls from the belly of the fish in Jonah 2.3 uh, to give you an idea of, of the despair we're talking about. So this is, this is deep, deep despair. Right? This is feeling like I'm going to die. God. And maybe we've felt like that, so overwhelmed. But even in the midst of such dark moments, even in the midst of that, that picture that is being vividly painted for us here, we see another reminder of God's faithfulness. Um, there's a, a back and forth type of emotional tug of war that you see here in these verses. Because in verse seven, he says that, that he's, he's covered in God, the breakers and the waves are going over his head. And then in verse eight, he says, but by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. So it's, it's almost as if, if, if you're just kind of reading this at surface level, you can be like, what's wrong with the psalmist? Like, he seems so back and forth. It's like, I'm going to die, but God is good. This is, this is awful, but then I remembered this. Um, and so you really see just this inward dialogue that's going on. He, he's saying, I feel this way, but I remember that God is faithful over and over. He's kind of going, going back and having that, that similar conversation with himself. By day, the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. So no matter what you or I may be experiencing in our life, no matter what season of spiritual fulfillment or, um, or spiritual emptiness that we might find ourselves in, our God will sustain us and he will keep us. Right? The raging waters of this life won't overtake us. Everything the psalmist is experiencing, he's filtering through the foundation of what he knows is true. And I think that's really important because it's really easy to complain. It's really easy to talk about how hard life is. It's really easy to give in to sin and temptation because you feel a certain way. Um, and, and as real as the psalmist's emotions are, we see something different, though. We see real emotion. He's communicating real things, real hurts, real concerns. But those emotions aren't carrying him away, right? He's not being swept off into those. Throughout the text, we, we see that as real as his emotions are, even more real is, is his God. And so look to verse 9, for example. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And this is just another picture, another acknowledgement um, of, of what is true that echoes throughout this overall theme of, of the Psalms as they teach us how to live wisely as God's, God's people. He's saying, even though I feel like you've forgotten me, he's still acknowledging God is his rock, right? That's a true thing about God. He's saying in the midst of, of true um, struggle and true, true hurt. And I think that's important for us. And as you read the Psalms, any of them really, I think this is an important lesson they can teach us. Viewing life through the eyes of faith doesn't mean we put on our rose-colored glasses, right? It doesn't mean we just ignore things that are going on in our life, ignore hurts or pains or um, things going on inside us that we might need to deal with. That's not what being a Christian is. It's not what following Christ looks like, right? But rather, living the life of faith in Christ gives us a Christ-centered foundation to build our lives on, right? It gives us something to hold on to. Because we're going to struggle, we're going to sin, we're going to suffer, either at our own hand or at the hand of others, right? We're going to experience all kinds of things in our life. And we're going to need to come back to the foundation of who God is and what he's done for his people. And so 
feel the weight of your emotions. Yes, feel those things, right? Don't check your feelings at the door. When you come in here on Sundays, for instance, experience the weight of, of the world and the weight of what's going on in your own heart. But do that in the context of knowing that God keeps his promises through Christ. Ask yourself, how does what is true of God shine a light into the darkness of what I'm going through? How does it shine a light into what's going on in the world around us? My own pain, the pain of those I care about. So your hope is sure if you belong to Christ. So rest in that, right? I was, I was thinking this morning, just as I was getting ready uh, to preach about the Heidelberg Catechism, oddly enough, I'm sure people don't just randomly think of that, but uh, question one of that catechism is the one that says, you know, Christian, what is our only hope in life and death? And it's um, that we are not our own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so remember that, right? Remember your hope. Remember your faithful Savior. That's what the psalmist is doing. Uh, and then we even sang a song this morning that reminded us of that, Christ the sure and steady anchor, right? He says in one of the lines, um, when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn and the suffering and the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. And so don't be afraid to cry out to the Lord like the psalmist is doing here. Don't be afraid to come to him with your, your deepest hurts and your deepest needs because he hears those things. Just like he heard the psalmist, just like he heard every cry of his people that is recorded in scripture. And since then, um, he, he hears us. He hears our needs and he'll sustain us. He'll sustain our life. Which leads us to the third point. So hope in God as you limp toward heaven because you will praise him again as he brings you safely home. And so this is looking specifically at the refrain that we see in verses 5 and 11. This is um, kind of that preaching to ourselves that we see the psalmist do here. How can we, like the psalmist, remember the truths that seem to be sustaining him and apply those things to our life, right? This back and forth dialogue that we talked about throughout the psalm is really summarized here. I'm going to read the refrain. So why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So he keeps coming back to this. And he comes back to it one more time in Psalm 43. As he looks forward, even in the midst of, of what's going on inside him and around him, there's this reminder of his need to hope in God, that he doesn't need to be cast down, right? He doesn't need to give in to all these emotions that might sweep him away from, from his faith, but he can cling to the promises of God. And so as you're navigating the goings on of your life, do you do it with, with this in view? Do we do it remembering that, that God is faithful, that he's true, that every promise he's made to us, he keeps? Or do we find ourselves just complaining? And that's kind of the end of the end of it, right? We, we're upset, we're bitter, we're frustrated, and then that's it. Let that not be true of us. Let that not be true of you and I as God's people. No matter how hard life is or how hard we see it be for other people around us that we know and care about, let's not forget what's true. Let's not forget the hope that is found in, in Christ and the promises that God has kept and fulfilled through him. And so this really hints at the promise of the, the psalmist, excuse me, this hints at the promise that the psalmist of the psalmist's pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. He, he knows he's going to one day praise him again, right? 
In verse five, you see, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. So he might be thinking of, I'm going to eventually get back to the temple. I'm eventually going to get back to singing and praising with God's people, with the throng of those worshiping him there in his presence. I mean, looking at Psalm 43, we, we see a little bit more of that, kind of connecting the dots. So I'm going to read verses three and four of Psalm 43. It says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God and to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. And so you see another, another picture there of, as I'm following you, Lord, you're going to lead me back to your presence. You're going to lead me back to where you are. And that's true of us. The Lord is going to lead us back to him, right? As we're making our pilgrimage through this fallen world, right? As we're living each day, experiencing the weight of, of brokenness and sin. That's not all we experience as God's people, right? We, we experience his promises that sustain us <coughs> and give us um, like, these, like these holy breadcrumbs that we really need that give us sustenance to make it through each day. Um, not just barely, right? Not, not just living in desperation, but, but living in fullness of joy in him. So we can live each day in the midst of brokenness like that because of his promises, knowing that he's going to eventually lead us back to him eternally, right? He's going to come for us. He's going to uh, renew us and we're going to be with him forever. And how can we, how can we know this for sure? How can we believe this? You might still be wondering, even after all we've talked about. And so John 6 35 through 40, I'm just going to read briefly too. I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but. So John 6, 35 says, Jesus said to them, this is similar to what we looked at in the New Testament reading. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So how can we believe this? How can we know that it's true, that God's going to keep his promises? And I think just another reminder of that from scripture is that Jesus says that that's true. Jesus says that's what God is doing. That's what he is doing. And we can, we can rest in that. And so this, this eternal life to come at the end of our journey, at the end of our pilgrimage is something for us to cling to just as it was um, for the psalmist. If you're here and, and you're a Christian today, no matter what you experience or will experience in life, um, no matter what you go through, you have every reason to hope in God. Every reason. The psalmist speaks of his trouble as being like a deadly wound in his bones. It feels like he's dying, right? But, but there's, there's one who actually has suffered to the point of death to bring us peace with God, as Isaiah says. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian this morning, I'm glad you're here. We're, we're thrilled that you're here. And know, just as we've talked about looking at the words of Jesus and looking at God's word here in Psalm 42, that Jesus is our only hope. He's our only hope to be made whole, our only hope to navigate the life that we are living. 
He's the fulfillment of every one of God's promises. And so as you navigate the brokenness that affects you and I, know that Christ will never desert you. On the contrary, he's the one who will sustain your life. And he alone is the one who will lead us back to his eternal presence forever. And so that's something to celebrate and something to encourage us day by day. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for these rich promises that, that you are enough for us, that we can hope in you, Lord, and that we will one day be with you again, uh, free from the troubles of this world because of what you have done um, in Christ. And so help us this morning to just to celebrate that, to reflect on that. And I pray that that would impact how we, how we live this week. Um, maybe not in front of other people, but may it impact how we live for sure individually in the privacy of our own minds and hearts where no one can see it. God, I pray that we would trust you, that we would hope in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.